You're listening to a 95BFM podcast. After first occupying vacant spaces in a post-stock market crash Auckland in the mid-1990s, public art curators letting space re-emerged in the wake of the 2008 global financial crisis. Confronted by the thin net of social welfare, the waste of the capitalist system and the climate emergency, it brokered spaces for artists to think and act radically outside the gallery walls. A big and bright new book, Urgent Moments, chronicles these pro- uh, the projects that those artists drove. To hear about the projects, I caught up with editors Mark Amory and Sophie Jerem. I began asking what Urgent Moments tells the story of. Thanks, Francis. Kia ora koutou. Namahi o te Whangaruia Tara. Um, and greetings to everyone in um, Tamaki Makaro and beyond. Uh, this book, Urgent Moments, has, is a chronicle of the, I guess, 10 years pretty much that Mark, Amory and I spent on working with Letting Space and, and many, many artists um, around the country. Most of them were at Wellington, but there was a couple of projects in Auckland and, and quite a few in different, in Dunedin and Purpur and Christchurch and Poirua, so actually around. And we have really worked, I guess, outside gallery spaces very much in... Uh, realms that are kind of contested. The word public is something that I, I kind of don't know whether it's a very appropriate word anymore, but it's essentially places that we could we could find community in or and generate community in. So very much social art practices. Can you tell me about the political environment at the time you decided to start the project? What was sort of bubbling in the air? Well, it's it's funny, yeah. We, we were really, uh, most of the projects happened over the time of the John Key-led national government. And um, so there was a real, there was a, there was a sense of needing to actually speak out on a lot of things. I mean, a really key issue in the 2000s was really the climate change crisis kind of coming into, in, into view. Um, and, and a real sense that the arts weren't really responding that much to the kind of sort of late capitalist kind of consumer culture, you know, that, you know, a lot of increasingly our art industry was going global. It was about our artists flying around the world a lot, using up a lot of carbon, going to a lot of events and, and not, but not really landing. And we were kind of, I guess, interested in, in what can we do in New Zealand to, to help artists be a little bit more planted and um, really explore things here. So the projects were very much never about objects, but more about people. So they tended to, you know, as Sophie's saying, a social practice was really around um, how people collected together and did things together. And part of that political environment at the same time were things like the Occupy movement was big. Um, social media was in its ascendancy. And there was, you know, there was some at that stage, since that, um, and, and we used a consensus decision-making tool called Lumio that came out of the Occupy movement that Sophie was involved in. You know, there was a real sense that the digital space actually might provide some tools towards these kind of different kinds of, well, I call them public spaces. So it was very much about new space creation with artists and going, well, really, how do, how do artists work outside of the gallery and almost outside of that consumer culture to offer some other alternatives? We'll speak about some specifics of some of the projects shortly, but I would love to know what some of the public reaction was or engagement with these projects. Yeah, I mean, we tended to find communities to work with, if you like. And so it was less about, I guess, the public and the broader kind of anonymous sort of people who might have encountered it, more about 
So I'm thinking about looking at our work in, in Paruru or particularly in Christchurch. We actually went to find people that we wanted, that we understood were doing interesting things themselves and and kind of work to develop and enhance those those communities. Um, I mean, in in Otatahi Christchurch, we worked after the 2013 earthquake, sorry, 2011, 12 earthquakes, but it was 2013, we were in, there in New Brighton, and it was an area of people where there was a re renewed New Brighton group, and there were artists and, um, and people looking at waste issues, and we brought them together um, under a week-long festival called the Transitional Economic Zone of Aotearoa. And then people in New Brighton kind of encountered that work as they were going about their daily lives. But it was kind of, an, kind of I suppose, we used our power as a to sort of shine light on those particular communities by bringing them into one. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so people, yeah, the, a lot of the work is, was intended to be very accessible. Um, you know, people were very, our artists tend to be quite friendly and very engaged in trying to make things not too clever, but actually involve, involving um, participation for anyone. And, and I think that's one of the main criticisms of the art world, I guess, as an institution is that it's not necessarily accessible for communities or people don't feel that they can engage with the work. Uh, did you see those kind of barriers being broken down in these spaces? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. But it's it's a that's a tough job to just suddenly go in and crack that open. You know what I mean? So I mean, we, we artists were often deliberately, particularly with like that project in Christchurch and Porirua, which we called the Transitional Economic Zone of Aotearoa. We did these kind of large works where artists would collaborate with each other and would collaborate with community groups and and do quite bold and interesting things. Um, and you feel like you were just kind of cracking things open and creating new kind of signs, really. Mm -hmm. um, but there was, I mean, at a lot of the time with the arts, you, you do feel like you, you, you are, even if even when you step outside of the gallery and into those spaces and you're encountering politicians and others, that you are slightly ignored. But to go back to your earlier question, we had two projects early on that had quite two but really major media responses that were different from one another. One was um, the free store, Kim Patton, who's now the director of object space. It was basically a small independent grocery store and that was run by artists and others in, in Wellington that recirculated unwanted wasted produce from the supermarket chains. And, and it was actually in a, a site that was owned by foodstuffs, one of the supermarket owners. And that, was, that caused a media sensation um, and got a lot of nationwide attention and Kim went on to do a version of that in West Auckland um, and it still runs as a social enterprise in Wellington. I was going to say it was 2010 I mean so we were kind of doing yeah this was set up and it was a, a kind of an idea and I think what yeah, what Mark's saying is that maybe the art that art kind of provoked a whole another thing and maybe it was just a few years ahead of sort of the Pataka Kai that you see around now and the there's a lot of those food distribution services but this was like Kim going now nah, what if we actually didn't judge what if we didn't judge who was coming and to asking for food well actually if we just said this is actually a waste this is an issue of waste and redistributing waste that the industrial food system has already paid for and let's not make a kind of you know charity value judgment about who anyone could come and it's, it's keep that cover sorry i interrupted mark <laughs> no, but it's a good point because the common theme over a lot of the letting space projects was about waste. It was about an economic system that generates incredible amounts of waste. 
And sometimes that waste is human waste in a sense. So there are a number of projects that we did which really looked at the way that the economic system was devaluing community workers and, um, and also the unemployed. So the, the, the second project that got a storm of media interest and in a lot of television and newspaper headlines was Teo Wells as the beneficiaries office where Teo created a PR company called the Wells Group um, who set up a PR office to extol the benefits of working less um, and in particular the benefits of unemployment and to to and, and he, he very cleverly I guess jabbed away at, at the media and the political system knowing that he was going to get um, a big backlash and ended up on television with the sort of act MPs of the time like Roger Douglas angry furious like hornets in a nest about how dare an artist be paid publicly through Creative New Zealand to extol the benefits of working less it was it was an incredible, um, yeah, storm to be in the middle of. And obviously quite topical now. You've actually picked up on the two works that I'd picked out uh, to discuss there, I think, because both of them really resonate with the political climate that we're in at the moment, particularly with, with Tao Wells' beneficiary office and looking at National's policy around welfare that works and, and their proposed changes to the welfare mm. system. Do you think there's space for something like this to be brought out of the woodwork now or, or how would you see artistic strategies of, of response to the current political climate operating now great question um I, I i i have not thought too much about redoing more projects i guess because we've moved on but actually what's what's what i really noticed at the launch this week was how these projects actually seem much more legitimate like Julian Priest's project in 2017 about testing water samples, showing people how to test the safety of, of water. It, was, it felt like a kind of interesting idea to crowdsource open source scientific techniques, but actually now we're seeing so many issues with water coming up um, that actually it seems like a sensible thing. You know, I mean, what I'm saying is, this, this is a lot of the works in this book really talk about things that could be deployed now at, that probably at the time just seemed like follies, you know, the whimsical ideas. So, I, yeah, I, I, and I also think that people are getting desperate. I mean, the the criticism we've had, uh, New Zealand has ha is having right now, say from The Guardian and other places, that we're not touching on climate change issues in the election, right, and that we, that maybe we have to start taking things into our hands a bit more as communities. So, yeah, I, I think there's actually a lot to be shared here. Yeah, I took a lot of that. Um, it's very hard, I think, for Sophie and I to, to start to tell contemporary artists what they should be doing now in terms of a social practice. It felt like the right thing to do at the time. And I think as our co-editor in the book, Amber Klausner, said, you know, these ideas are proving really valuable now, but it, it was hard to see that at the time. I mean, when you're creating these huge independent, well, they seem huge to us, independent art projects. You're just hanging on. You kind of believe in the artists and you're really getting behind them and, and pushing them to be brave, really, really, really brave in, in, in a very public way. But, you know, you, you also have a, you know, it's, it's typical for all artists, your, your sense of self-confidence over what the effect is, is can be difficult. So, I mean, it's really beautiful. It's a beautiful thing um, this week as we speak 
to have the book out and to be seeing people really take strength from it. I mean, that really is just amazing um, for us. Um, I mean, I think for for myself personally, I don't want to speak for, for Sophie, but I think we might be on the same way. We, we sort of went on from our letting space work into doing community-based works where a lot of what we learned, we were applying in our own communities. Sophie's got an amazing, is part of an amazing collective in Brooklyn and Vogelmorn where there's a community centre there run by artists that's doing remarkable work. Uh, and I went on to set up a radio station, a media channel in Paika Kariki where I live and and and, and other projects there. And that, that, that work for us is maybe, you know, we, we, we've got things we, in terms of wanting to do longer, longer projects rather than temporary projects as well. If we look at this book and the story it tells as a whole, though, it is a very a very long project itself, I think over seven years. How did you manage to sustain the, the projects and iterations for that long? Yeah, it's a good question. Actually, Chris Krauss remarked several times that she thought we'd, we'd, we were, the, were kind of despairing the fact that we had sort of run out of steam by about 2020 when we sort of started on to urban dream brokerage kind of projects towards the end. But yeah, seven years, and she... It is quite a long time for an art collective to continue. I mean, personally, I, I'm. I, this is a, a tribute to Taylor Wells, who always used to say, "You've got to acknowledge where your where your funding or your money is coming from, your support is coming from." And I, so I really, um, really was grateful for my husband, um, who was working in his own business, running an architecture firm, and he really kind of endorsed what we we're doing. And allowed, yes, bring brought income into the house um, to allow me to work, and on this stuff pretty much for next. But I think as well the momentum did build, so you kind of got inspiration from one artist to another, and we and they kept on coming back with good projects. And then the teaser, the teaser festival idea was sort of quite powerful that we wanted to repeat that. So it was like we we got ourselves into quite a fervor mm. at creatively. Is that how you remember it, Mark? Yeah, well, you run on ideas, you know, you just get sparked by ideas. And I think we're both in that sense, art community activists and organisers and, and still get very sparked by crazy ideas. Um, and and that, that, is, that is our part, I mean, you know, our part of being, I guess, artists. But I think also just to speak to the sustainability, yeah, we, we, we did this project and, and, and well, I was in my 40s and... Um, you know, it's the sort of work you might argue, arguably think you have the energy for earlier, but, I, you know, we have both had young kids, and um, I guess that also makes you feel more responsible for the world, perhaps, I don't know, but, you know, um, uh, so our families, as Sophie was saying, were just the most incredible support, but I think it's, um, and, it, you know, back in my 20s, I was at BFM doing your work as an arts producer and presenter, and and doing other kind of media kind of collective work. And I think we came to this project maybe a little bit wiser in a sense, but also bolder and with experience. I, I'd come from running a public um, uh, playwrights organisation, Play Market, with Crab New Zealand funding. I was used to sort of creating large networks in that way, and Sophie was, and other things she'd done. And we had each other. So I think, you know, the, the our friendship was a probably you know up there is one of the reasons we sustained it's a very special thing very very special when you you find a friend who you can where you can challenge each other but support each other is is, is an enormous thing that was mark amory and sophie jerome editors of urgent moments speaking with me about the book and the projects that was a 95 bfm podcast to hear more head to 95bfm.com slash bcasts